0: simply said this, and the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I did not put a title page on this, but if I had one, I would simply say, Revisiting the Mourner's Bench. Revisiting the Mourner's Bench. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. Can we do that, Lord? <clears throat> God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I'm asking for your help today. God, I'm asking that you would enlighten my mind and my and put words in my mouth that only you once said today. God, but most importantly, open our ears, each and every one of us, that we could hear what thus saith the word of the Lord to the church. God, I'm asking that you would allow the Holy Ghost to minister in this place. Lord, I ask today that you would allow the Holy Ghost to help us to grow closer to you than we ever have before. We exalt your holy name today, Jesus. Can we give him a hand clap of praise this morning? Oh, we love you. Oh, we magnify you today. You're worthy to receive honor and glory this morning. Thank you for your goodness. You can be seated this morning. I, this week, I don't even know what, what it was that triggered the thought, but let me ask the simple question. How many of you know what a mourner's bench is? Have you ever heard of a mourner's bench? water this morning, and I'm feeling it. The mourner's bench is very simple. Most of us today, we call it an altar. It's the bench that we've built onto the end of our platform that goes from wall to wall here. We, I pray that we know what it is that we do when we come to this bench. We come and we talk to the Lord and we spend time seeking his face and asking him, Lord, give us strength. Lord, forgive us. Lord, Brother Tuffy actually got the Holy Ghost right here in this this portion of the altar. Amen. And as I began to look this up, and I, I, believe it or not, the altar, this, this what we know as the mourner's bench, this type of altar is not necessarily in the scripture. But what it is and where it was birthed was unique to me. I began to look it up and, and study it and as I began studying, I found that the the mourner's bench or what we call the altar today was also known as the anxious bench. It was also known as a prayer bench or a penitent form. It has its origins back in the 18th, late 18th century into the 19th century when the great revivals began to break out. It was actually the Methodist church that built the first altar or mourner's bench and put it in the front of the church. This concept emerged as a part of the revivalist moment, movement, characterized by an emphasis emphasis on personal conversion and emotional expression of faith. All those big words just simply mean they built it so people could get out of their comfort zone in the pew and come forward in an act of faith and say, Look, I'm telling everybody that's here and I'm telling God. I'm changing my ways. I'm not going to leave this place the same that I came. That's why they built these altars. That's why they began to build mourners' benches. Amen. They got, uh, if you'll let me use my imagination, if it was me and I came up with the idea of putting an altar in the front of the church, it wasn't, but as long as I'll be pastor here, these altars will be here. Amen. The reason for that is, there's something to be said about moving from out of my comfort zone and not just letting God know secretly somewhere in a corner, God, I give you my everything. But sometimes we have to go beyond just that little comfort zone that says, you know, I don't." everybody don't have to know. And yes, you're right, not everybody has to know whether you're making commitments to God or not. But let me tell you something, when you step out in faith, the the Apostle James he wrote, he wrote it this way he said show me your faith without your works he said but I can show you my faith much easier because I'm gonna show I'm gonna do something about what I believe preaching brings forth faith it, in fact it should inspire your heart as I'm preaching today I hope that I'm I'm inspiring a, a spark of faith. That, that begins to grow and, and and by the end of this service, you're going to have something down on the inside that says, hey, I want more of God than I ever have before. I want to have something that I've never had in my life before. Amen. And sometimes that, and that requires that I have to get up and I have to move out of where I'm used to being and say, all right, here I am, God. I'm coming down. I don't care who sees me. I'm going to lift up my hands. I'm going to put tears, puddles of tears on the altar. Why? Because I want God to know I'm serious and I mean business. I'm not playing games. Amen. I, I began to think of this mourner's bench. Um, the origination of this, this mourner's bench uh, became prevalent during the camp meetings and the revivals of the second great awakening in the United States. A religious revival movement that began, like I said, in the 18th century, late 18th century into the 19th century. Methodist influence was there when they built these altars and believe it or not, back in those days, you couldn't tell much of a difference between the religions. I know I've had some of you ask me, why why do why do the ladies wear skirts? Why do they not cut their hair and stuff? Let me tell you something. That was a common practice across all faiths. You can do a, just a, a, a study just 100, 100, 120 years ago, and you'll begin to see where that was just common practice. And I, I'm going to be teaching on, on on these things in, in days to come, but, but I, I want you to understand help me jesus it wasn't until the women had to step into the warehouses and begin to build parts for the war and begin to construct things that they said you know we can't if we're going to do manly things we're going to have to wear manly clothes essentially is where those began and so they began to wear coveralls they began to they began to wear things that the men would wear typically to work and 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 then it moved, it morphed into a women's liberation movement, and and so on, and so it, then it began to morph, and and uh, uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna destroy all of that right now. I, I want to show you in the scripture where some of these things were good. Some of these things were good that happened, but there's a lot that wasn't good that happened. There was a lot that was contrary to the word of God. We're seeing that now. We've taken. We've taken now. We we have masculinated women, and we are effeminating men. We're making them women. Does it make sense today? We're, we're making girls out of boys. We're making men out of women. You see that this was this was all a ploy of the enemy to begin to change everything that God had set into motion originally. You with me today? And so here we are today, and this is where most folks. Um, most folks don't ever hear these types of teaching. I'm not going to get down into that. I, I have that. We're going to break it all down, scripture by scripture. I want to show you why I believe what I believe, why I teach what I teach, all of these things. Why, why do we do these things? Number one, it's because I love God. I've had some people tell me, Sister Renee, that, that the only reason people in the Pentecostal church do what they do is because they just they're demanded to be obedient to a man. Let me ask you something. How many of you have, I went to your house and beat you over the head and said, bless God, you better do it this way? If you ask me to do that, if you need that kind of, uh, um, what do you call it? If you need that kind of love, we'll put it that way. Help. What's the word? The word that I'm looking for is, is gone into the ether. Accountability—that's the word I was looking for. I mean, if you need that kind of that kind of accountability, I can help with that. But that's not my favorite way of helping people. All right, my favorite way to help people is to show you, hey, look, I, I got I got black and white scripture for you. Right, and sometimes it's red. Right, and I will say, if you, if you see words that are read in your Bible, honey, you better pay attention to what those words are saying. But don't discredit everything else because you you, you got an understanding of something in particular. I got to be careful, but you got to understand. Some people will say, I only want to obey what's in the red. My problem with that is this entire book was God breathed or God inspired. God spoke every single word that's in this book into the hearts of holy men of old as they were moved upon. The scripture says, by the Holy Ghost. And so if you don't believe, if you say, I'm only going to believe what Jesus said, I can't believe what Peter and John and and Paul and all those guys wrote. Well, let me ask you something. The Bible says, in Luke chapter number 24, says that, and then he opened their understanding, Right? Is there any, is there, does anybody not understand what it means when the Bible says he opened their understanding? He made them to know what the Bible talks about. And I I can, I can, I can probably point you in Brother Tuffy's way and, and just have you ask him some questions because what, three years ago, you didn't know what you know today. I'm not just trying to point him out, but other folks in this room today, you've begun to grow and you've begun to study the Word of God. Why? Because because I'm not I'm not here just to pat myself on the back. I've just tried to push this into your into your hands. Look, I can teach until I'm blue in the face, but until you pick up this Bible and you get what's on these pages, not just right here, but it's got to go from here down into here. You with me today? Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, my goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost. He said, look, you look good on the outside, boys. But on the inside, you're just full of dead men's bones. You're just whited sepulchers. You look, you look good. You look like beautiful tombstones on the outside. But what's on the inside's dead and it's gone. And it, it's of none effect to you and to others. So I, I do know that, yes, I do believe we have to look right on the outside. I want you to understand, we talked We talked about the inward man just recently. We, talked two, 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 we took two services, and I talked about the importance of the covering of the blood of Jesus and, and what he does on the inside of us. He takes all that gunk and that junk that, that we've built up in our lives for years, and he begins to wash it out with his red blood, and then we become white as snow, the Bible says. And so now, here we are. Here we are. We got it clean on the inside. But did you guys know that Jesus said this? He said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. What's the principle in that? You ever considered that? What's the principle in the abundance of the, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? Come on now. That's it. That's right. So you've got to understand what you've got on the inside. If it's really full, eventually it's got to make its way onto the outside. When people meet me on the streets, I want them to know there's something different about this guy. Not just because I got a nice suit on. Not because I got my hair combed nice, what little bit I got left. Not because... I got a smile on my face, but because they can perceive there is a difference in me. Walking, in fact, some of the greatest breakthroughs Bishop Riggin has had in Africa has been walking simply through, completely exhausted, pushing these carts with luggage stacked to the top to where it went about they're all about to fall over, pushing them through, and a man walks up. I was sitting over there, and I watched you walk up, and you're a man of God. How did he know that? He didn't have a suit on. In fact, his shirt was half untucked that day. I was there. Something should. Something should. And you know what? Everybody in in Africa dresses very much like we do on a regular basis when we come to church. They wear suits and ties just to walk to work. They wear button-up shirts. They don't just use T-shirts all the time. When you go over there, you're going to see. It almost feels like you step back in time a little ways. Because of how they dress, they feel like they need to present themselves in a modest fashion. I didn't come to get into all of this, but I'm trying to get down into the the nitty-gritty where how did they maintain these things throughout the Scripture? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost came. Peter preached to them in Acts 2 and 38, and he told them you've got to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then with many other words did he testify and exhort, verse 41, and then verse, ver- the rest of those verses begin to talk about how that they continued together. How often? daily. How? In the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread, they were consistently studying the word of the Lord. But honey, don't forget, there was one key ingredient, and it involved a prayer life. They had to maintain a prayer life. You can study the word of God, some of the smartest men, some of the greatest preachers that I've met, amen, in Pentecost that can teach this, and all of a sudden, boom, you get this great revelation. Some of those men have walked away from this faith. Because at some point, it didn't get down here, it stayed here. They were intellectual, but they never got it down on the inside. We've got to go beyond that. We've got to revive the mourner's bench. We've got to go back to an old-fashioned altar. Now, the, the, the concept of an altar is based in the Scripture. That's a place where sacrifices and blood was shed and offerings were made unto the Lord so that they could worship. So the mourner's bench could be a place of repentance. The mourner's bench can be a place of consecration, a place where you recommit yourself. The mourner's bench could also be just a simple place where I go and I kneel and I begin to make and offer worship unto the Lord. What am I doing when I come to an old-fashioned altar? I come and I kneel, and as I do, I bow before the king, and I tell him how much he means to me, and I let him know, King, you are great and greatly to be praised. You've got to understand when we come into the house of the Lord. In fact, I remember days gone by when I was a young boy, my mom and dad began to, they got this, it's a little bitty piece of wood. They cut this down this much. They cut a, I don't remember what size board it was, but they cut it in half. And they made two benches, and they put it in their room, and a friend of theirs put it in his office, and that became their personal mourner's bench. And I remember going into my mom and dad's room, and you could hear them praying, and you would go in there, and you would see them kneeling at a really rough shod piece of wood. It didn't look pretty. It had two pieces of wood holding it up in the on the sides, and it, it was it was bowing in the middle because of them getting down and putting their weight on the center of the board. But honey, that was where they went and met with God. So, well, I don't have a bench at my house. That's all right. You got the side of your bed. You got the you got your couch, you got your lazy boy, you, you, you got a place where even if you can't get down on your knees, some of Some some of us, as we get older, it it does hurt my knees after a while and and, and I understand that, but something, there's got to be something to be said about the fact that I'm going to spend time with my father and I've got to spend that time effectively. I can't just go there and say, God, I, I love you, thank you for waking me today and just move on. This year, if, if I can do anything, I'm, I'm juggling a couple of phrases, and I may get it printed up and put on the wall, amen, but but there's there's something to be said. I want this year to be a year of prayer, a year that we begin to dig deep down into our souls and let God know, God, here I am. I need you more today. And what I want to institute before the end of the year is up is folks come into the church, amen, whenever they feel like it. And you come and spend time at the house of God. Can I pray at home? Absolutely you can. But let me tell you something. Remember what I said about making a bit more, taking a bit more action than just staying in my comfort zone. Look, I got an office. I spent time praying in my office at the house. I've spent time in my living room. I've laid in my floor, living room floor crying out to God way into the night there at the house. Let me tell you something. I've had some beautiful times with the Lord at the house. But guess what? Last night I was laying in bed and I felt like God said, hey, I need you to go to the church for a while. And so I came and I spent some time with the Lord. And he met with me here. And I want you to understand he wants to not just meet with me as the preacher, folks. He wants to meet with each and every one of you. Amen, the Holy Ghost has something that he wants to do in each and every one of our lives, but he cannot do it if we're gonna stay closed up in our little corner and reserved and say, I'm just gonna do what I've always done and expect something different. Honey, you can't get something different if you're gonna do what you've always done. Amen, they say that's, that's the that very definition of insanity. Amen, if you continue to do one thing and expect different results, honey, you've got to do something different. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you, you've got to say, hey, I know, I know I'm going out of my way, but here I am, Lord. I want to spend time in your presence. I want to dig deep in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There got to be times where you come into an altar and you begin to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. There will be times where you begin to pray, and the Bible says it this way until you pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. Amen. You're trying to call on the name of the Lord, but you can't say anything because, amen, something down on the inside just begins to cry out, Oh, God. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Finding a place. I struggle struggling with my faith. Well, Jude had an answer for that. He said, you need to go build up your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Ghost. This man, the publican that Jesus is talking about, this is a parable. He's teaching about prayer here. Just before this publican began to pray, he was talking about a Pharisee that was there. He was talking about a religious man that was there. And as that religious man was there, he began to pray, God, I thank thee that I am not like some others. That's not okay. It's not okay. But then the Lord turns and he begins to talk about the publican and no good for nothing. Somebody that maybe folks would think he doesn't offer have anything to offer God. He was standing afar off. Can you let me use my imagination? He was at the church and he's over here in this corner he made his way to an old-fashioned mourner's bench and he began to smile at his breast. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner and I don't deserve your grace. Let me tell you something. The more, the more that we seek the face of God, the more he will meet with you in a special way. Hallelujah. I hope that, God, I can get this burden off of my heart today. Amen. There's, there's got to be something that has to be said about those who go above and begin to say, I don't care what I've got to stop doing today. I feel the call of heaven, and I'm going to go spend time with my Lord. I'm not going to be much longer. There's two things that I feel like I need to address. We were there in Atoka, Oklahoma this weekend, and they let a a series of young men get up, about six of them, and preach. And one of them began to preach about the snake that bit Paul on the island of Malita. Brother Tuffy, one of the things he said, I've never really studied it much. I mean, it's an island. I just assume snakes just live there. It's a tropical area, it's a Mediterranean area. There's it's it's nice, it's a warm area. Figured snakes would just live there. But one of the things that this Good man said, and I talked to him afterwards. He said, according to history, there are no venomous snakes natural to that island that they landed upon. He said, brother, that what happens was any any venomous snakes that would so happen to be upon one of those islands would have to have been transferred in the crates that were up on the cargo ships, uh, transitioning the waters from Rome down into Egypt and back and forth. Now, these snakes, there is a, I don't remember the name of the snake, but this snake, he said that the snake, uh, the head, normally gets about this big, and it was a very common snake in northern Africa that would would go into these wooden crates and they would set in there and then they would transfer that snake from Rome or wherever they ended up taking that crate. They said these snakes at their biggest could get to six feet in length. And The Bible says, not, not the Bible, but, but, but the research on these snakes, their heads are about the size of my fist. Their bodies are about the size of my arm. Imagine six feet of that. And the Bible says that it was a venomous snake. The Bible said it was a beast that came out of the fire and latched on. Come here, buddy. And latched on to Paul's arm. Stick your arm out here. So if you can imagine with me You've seen, how many of you guys have ever seen pictures drawn of this depiction of Paul being bit by the snake? Many of them have like something about the size of my tie kind of draped down off of his arm and he just shakes it off, just a little bit of shaking here. But this venomous snake that this good brother began to research, he said, we can't put that snake there, right? But it was a very common snake to be transferred on those cargo ships on which Paul was a part of. you with me? That snake came out of not the fire, okay? It came out of the heat, right? A couple things I want to draw out here. And it latched on to the apostle Paul's arm. Now, can you imagine? This this snake, it is said that this snake... And and some snakes, most snakes are actually like this. They have multiple little teeth in their jaws. You know what those are for? It's so that they can continue to chew and get a better hold and then inject their venom into their victim. Now, this snake's venom is not very potent, so just one drop in your bloodstream, it's not gonna hurt you. But what happens is this snake in particular his 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 uh, uh, fangs are, they said, two to three inches in length. That it can inject into your body, and then it just begins to flood as much venom as it can into your body, causing you to swell up and almost die instantly. The scripture talks about how the Apostle Paul, this thing latched onto him. Can you imagine? If it was just a little thing, he just shaking it off and it falls into the fire. But the first thing you can have a seat. The first thing I want to pull out of here is the Bible says the snake came out of the heat, which tells me the ship had wrecked upon the island. What were they burning? All the wreckage, crates, stuff that was. Loaded up on that ship, they had gathered it up and started burning it for the warmth that they needed there on the island that day because it was raining and all that good stuff. You with me today? And all of a sudden, the heat from the fire that they had built began to cause the snake to feel uncomfortable, and he began to make his way out. And Paul just so happened to be there. And he jumped out and latched onto Paul. Now, can you imagine something the size of my fist latching onto your arm? You're not just going to go like this and shake it off. Brother Tuffy, I can just imagine. Ha, 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 ha. He's making all kinds of racket. He's making all kinds of movements. He's shaking that thing off. His body, his whole body is shaking. And he's got to get that thing off or he's going to die. And he got it and he put it back in the fire, and the fire consumed it. You know what amazes me is the people that day expected him just to fall over dead right then. But he didn't. Say, what are you talking about, this pastor? You're supposed to be talking about the mourner's bench. They tie together. Because what happens when you start praying in an altar? what were the priests commanded when they when they built that when they built that first altar God sent down the fire and consumed the sacrifice that was there so who ignited the fire? God did. let me ask you something what happened on the day of Pentecost when they began to pray and repent of their sins what happened the Holy Ghost came down like a And it sat upon each of them. God ignited the fire in each and every one of their hearts that day. And it's now not God's responsibility to keep the fire going on the altar. Like the priest, he told the priest, you keep that fire burning on the altar all of the time. Even, don't ever let it go out. Even when you're marching through the wilderness, you got to keep the fire going. It's got to keep moving. It's got to keep going. It's got to keep growing. What happens when the fire begins to blaze? Amen. Heat begins to draw things out that don't feel comfortable in that kind of environment anymore so all of a sudden guess what if I begin to pray Brother Mendez and I begin to dig deep in my spirit guess what's going to happen there are going to be some snakes begin to slither their way out of, of places I didn't even know they were there and they're going to try to latch on to me but guess what just build the fire bigger because the fire can consume those things that are trying to destroy you don't be surprised that when you begin to pray like you've never prayed before that things begin to happen in in your life and you're saying my God I'm I'm trying to get right amen but God's just saying yeah I'm trying to help you get right amen I'm trying to help you keep that fire going amen those things that can try to discourage you but you don't have to let them discourage you you can just shake them off and say here I am God I gotta shake this thing off I can't can't allow it to continue to be attached to me I've got to get, get rid of this thing And then Elder Jones began to preach Friday night, and he simply said this, he said, we live in a generation of the unconcerned. Honey, many of us are mature enough to know if you're going to make it very far in any kind of business, you can't just go into work haphazardly and and just go through the motions. But if you want to get promoted, you're going to have to put some effort into that. And those who are unconcerned, they don't go anywhere. They fill a seat. I worked at a, I worked at a pharmaceutical way up in, in the city there on Shawnee Mission at Bear Pharmaceuticals. And, and, and I'm telling you, there were people there on the assembly lines. And they had been there 25, 30 years, same assembly line. I'm sorry, I don't believe that's the will of God in my spiritual life, for me to be on the same place all of my life. God needs us to grow. God needs us to become more in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. The devil's biggest tool right now in this day and hour is to say, you wake up on a Sunday morning, man, it's cold out there. You know, it's warm in this bed. Just, just pull those covers up a little higher. You know, they're going to be playing it online. You're going to be all right. You can still get what church you need, right? Look, it's not just our church that battles with these types of things. This happens all across the nation. I'm not the only pastor that has people that, that don't feel well or all of a sudden right before service. Man, I feel like, I feel like trash. You know how many times that the devil tries to use that on me? Every service. Amen. I've been battling my throat all morning this morning, but right now my throat just feels fine. Maybe after service it's going to go back to feeling nasty. I don't know, but I can tell you this right now. While the Holy Ghost is moving, when I come into the house of the Lord and I make that extra effort, I'm not just trying to pat myself on the back. I just want you to understand what God can do for you as well. He don't just do it for the preachers. He can do it for everybody that walks into the house of the Lord. Right. You say, well, we don't want to spread things. I, I appreciate that. But let me tell you something. My God can still heal. Yeah. That's right. Amen. Where do you think those that were, were, were plagued with leprosy went when Jesus was walking the streets? They had to. They had to go to the Lord. You know why? They could go to him and then leave and he and nobody could say anything to him about what just happened because there was no proof that they were lepers anymore they became clean when god gets done with you everything's going to be okay he's going to make it all right use wisdom folks but if it's consistent over and over I want you to understand that's not just a coincidence, folks. It's not a coincidence. The devil figures out what tools work, and guess what? He's going to use them over, and he's going to use it over and over and over again. Look, I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to everybody else here. Sometimes I'm, I need encouragement saying, hey, dude, it's going to be all right. Just get up and put one foot in front of the other, and it's, it's going to be okay. It It, it will. But you know what, if I can get this altar in my life, not maybe this particular one, you, you, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you have to take this one everywhere you go. Man, build an altar where you go. Everywhere Abraham went, guess what he did? He built an altar. Guess what? We don't see that with Isaac. We see Isaac worried about digging wells. Worried about his sustenance. The first thing that Abraham, his father, did, he didn't dig a well first. He built an altar. He built an altar. We need an altar in our life. We've got to have an altar. You know what's going to happen when we continue to build upon that altar? Every time we go back to it, it's going to wipe away some more unconcern. It's going to wipe away all of those other things that continue to bind us and to to bring us down. Say, why are you preaching like this on the last Sunday morning of of the year? Because I want to start this new year on a new foot. I want to pick up and I want to say, Lord, I want to go out this year in your glory and I want to start next year walking in the glory of God. The only way I can do that is if I'm seeking after him. Just like this sinner man, he was seeking after the lord he was hungry for something different amen let me give you just a couple verses somebody come to the altar <laughs> somebody come to the uh, yeah somebody come to the altar this morning we're going to give you a chance to do that in a few minutes somebody come to the music though amen amen i, I don't know if you know the song but lord prepare me to be a sanctuary amen i, I that's been going on in my heart if you don't know that's fine Amen. But Psalm 51 and verse 17, the Bible says this. You remember what happened in the Old Testament when they went to the altar? They made what? They made sacrifice. Let me show you what the, what, what the psalmist wrote. This was actually David's prayer after he fell into sin with Bathsheba. He said this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Not, not blood of rams and goats but a broken spirit. Why? Because a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you're not going to despise that. You're not going to reject that. God loves it when we come to an altar and say, God, here, my heart's in pieces. I need you to help me. Let me ask you the last time that you tried to put your heart back together, how that would go out for you. I know for me it didn't work out too well. It ended up getting broken again. And God put it back together the right way. Psalm 34 verses 17 and 18 says, The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. We come to him calling upon him this morning come hungry for more of his glory. You know, I know in the past I've, I've said you can pray where you're at. You can, you can really get a hold of God wherever you're at today. I've said that in the past when I've closed out a service. Brother Tuffy, this year I'm not going to offer that as an option. Because I believe if we really want to see a move of God, we're going to have to get up and we're going to have to step out of a comfort zone and come before God and all of men and say, here I am, Lord. Whatever you need to do to me, I'm giving myself to you. I don't think a service should go by that we don't spend a little time seeking the face of God in his altar. When his word goes forth, we should have some kind of response. We should be reaching out to him like never before. Folks, we're in a battle. We're in a war that's going to be waged until eternity is upon us. And let me tell you something. The apostle Paul sent this Command to his son in the gospel, Timothy, and I'm going to issue that command today. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy 6 and 12. 1 Timothy 6 and 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on the eternal life whereunto thou art called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Amen. That way when we are on our deathbed as the Apostle Paul was when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 7, we can then say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept The faith, but Paul wasn't able to do that upon his own strength. He had to go back, Amen, and he had to find a place where he could get a hold of God. He had to go back and regain his strength. He had to maintain the fire that God had ignited upon him when he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Each and every one of us today, if we can stand this morning, Amen, have had that same experience as the Apostle Paul. He sent the Holy Ghost. He lit the fire. He man of his spirit in our souls. Now it's up to you. Now it's up to me to maintain the fires of his spirit. The Bible said my God is a consuming fire. He ought to consume us it ought not to be nonchalant. It ought not to be just uh, uh, willy-nilly. It ought not to be just, uh, uh, just, just going through the motions. But when I come, it ought to consume me like I've never been consumed before. Lord, let the Holy Ghost rest upon me today. Ignite that fire. Continue to let it burn vibrantly, Lord. Not for my own glory. Not for my own benefit. But God, that every single person that I come in contact with will begin to feel the, the unction and the power and the heat that comes from the burning of the Holy Ghost inside of me. Oh, can we find a place to pray this morning? Can we come and talk to the Lord for a little while? Can we spend some time Time in prayer today Jesus we need you today Jesus we long for your help this morning oh you are worthy to be praised oh that's it God come on let's talk to the Lord this morning God I need you I give you my everything Jesus oh I give you my everything today Jesus Oh, there is no one like you, Jesus. Oh, there is no one like you, Jesus. <laughs> That's it. Let's call the name of the Lord today. Oh, Jesus, we adore. To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living. Sanctuary.
1: For you,
0: oh Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary,
1: pure and holy tried and true.
0: I'll be a
1: living, oh, sanctuary for you.
0: Sing it again, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. One more time, oh Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, to be a saint sanctuary, pure and holy, pure and holy, tried and true, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living, I'll be a living, sanctuary, 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 Hallelujah. can we lift our hands to heaven and just let us begin to love him oh we magnify you today Jesus oh I want to be a sanctuary for you today Lord oh Place this morning, love of God. Help me, God, to keep the fire bright. God help me to keep the fire burning hot and heavy, Jesus. Oh, there is no one like you. There is no one. Oh, come on, let's entertain the presence of the Lord that's here right now. Oh, you're lava sarai ki a lolobo sanda Oh, yeah, Oh, Oh, Jesus,
1: I love you, Jesus, I love you.
0: Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for your goodness today. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, what do we say we keep the fires going? Amen. let's keep the fire going. The fire of the Holy Ghost should be burning bright and heavy in our lives. Amen. Praise God. Well, tonight we're gonna to have a good time in the Holy Ghost. I believe, Amen. If if this is any telltale sign of what we're gonna to feel tonight, I I'm expecting.